Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love, where talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Today's podcast is your innate sexuality being your birthright. Today, I'm very happy to be talking to Galen Foos, who says your innate sexuality is your birthright. It is meant to be enjoyed, and it is meant to be expressed in an honest, consensual, shame-free way. No matter how you may have struggled in the past with secretive, compulsive, unhealthy sexual behaviors or avoided sexuality altogether, you can still learn to become sexually honest, authentic, and fulfilled. Your current and future partners will be grateful that you did. Galen Foos is a sex-positive therapist, author, educator, and sex researcher. He lectures internationally at universities, grad schools, and psychology conferences on the psychological dynamics of sexual fantasy, sexual authenticity, and untangling shame, fear, and trauma from sexual desire. He's on the faculty of Modern Sex Therapy Institutes, where he offers continuing education-approved classes for therapists on kink and sex-positive psychology and sexual integration therapy. Galen helps clients move through secrecy, shame, fear, and trauma toward honest, embodied, and confident expression of their authentic desires. His latest book, Decoding Your Kink, The Guide to Explore, Share, and Enjoy Your Wildest Sexual Desires, has been praised by sexual psychologists and educators as visionary, masterful, and groundbreaking, a must-read. He's also the author of The Sharp Edge of Love, Extreme Sex, Mythic Passion, Primal Intensity. I'm very pleased to welcome Galen Foos to my podcast. Welcome, Galen. Hey, Joe, it's great to join you. So happy to be here with you and your audience. Yeah, same here. So glad to have you here. And I thought before we go into the questions, people would want to know what it means when you say decoding your kink. Can you explain? Sure. My premise is is that uh, everyone, or not everyone, but there's a certain uh, segment of the population that has kink-oriented fantasies. And by that, I mean... uh, Different than friction sex, these uh, people who have kink-oriented sexual fantasies are driven by an archetypal, symbolic, mythic story-driven sexuality. That story that drives them to orgasm, that clicks on in their mind when they become aroused. Uh, If people have that kind of component, uh, this is what I believe is activating this this, uh, myth of what I call fetish sexuality, actually. Uh, And so uh, this is uh, related to people's fantasies and their desires. uh, And this archetypal element means that, uh, and this is often the case as you look in the kink world, if you get on a site like FetLife, you see people are in these categories, archetypal categories of uh, their dominant or submissive master or slave, teacher, student, uh, dominatrix, uh, good boy, whatever the case might be. I mean, there's a pantheon of these archetypal pairings, and they are in pairs. They occur, I believe this is in the gene pool, this way where for people who are fetishsexuals are suddenly in this era because of the internet able to actually pair up and find these very nuanced dimensions of uh, their sexual desire uh, in the gene pool. Oh, there's others like me. And so people are able to find uh, sex partners and find relationship partners and find community uh, in this new era. That's so interesting. Um, And and can you explain what FetLife is? Because some of my listeners may not know. Mm. 
Well, FetLife is a uh, the Facebook for kink people, basically. You know, it's a social media site uh, where you can put up a personal uh, uh, profile there with pictures and have a blog where you can write about what you're up to or what you think about. And then there's other discussion groups people can join. There's community events in your local area about different kink events or educational uh, opportunities that might be there. So it's a real full spectrum of the kink world globally. Yes. And what I love about it is you don't have to give your real name. You, like Facebook demands, well, I mean, I guess you could make a fake Facebook, but you can you make a fake profile there. I actually have a business profile on there as well so that people can find me as a kink friendly and aware mm-hmm. therapist. Can you say something? Uh, I know a lot of people are going to listen to the you name of your book and they're going to say, oh, just another therapist uh, pathologizing kink, which is not at all what you're doing. Can you explain? No, this uh, book is uh, encouraging people to embrace what's true for them, whatever that is, from mild to wild uh, in your sexuality. And to explore this wonderful opportunity, uh, sometimes I call it the erotic wilderness area, because it's this vast territory of our sexual psyche that people are afraid to go out into. You know, it's been taboo. Sex has been the bastard of human personality for 10,000 years, probably. Mm. It's never been welcome to the table. It's never part of the conversations that you have uh, with your colleagues or your uh, even your, unfortunately, your partner in life. You know, people just have been taught to, oh, you don't talk about things like that. And so uh, we have, and we don't have sex education in the country. So, you know, we really are are, uh, fond of fiddling along in the dark, uh, most people, I believe, because they they really haven't come in touch with their authentic sexuality. And and this is what this book is about is a kind of a, a map of the wilderness area. You know, it's not a personal guide. It's not the guide. Here's the guide for you. It is to help you find your own path in the in this huge territory and to embrace it and to learn about it and to learn to embody it and learn to make it a gift for your partner. And that goes step by step with uh, if someone's ready to embrace their authentic sexuality, they're going to instantly run into all the what has been on for decades in many cases, reasons they have resisted or have avoided or haven't examined it or have been operating in in secret. So this is the powerful part of being uh, on a journey to become sexually authentic is you have an opportunity to resolve uh, and heal shamings and traumas and wounds from the past around your sexuality that have really disconnected you from your sexuality. So this is why you mentioned sexual integration theory, a part of one of the classes I teach. And this is the whole idea of it's time to integrate our sexuality back into our everyday life in a way that's an integrity with our values, uh, responsibilities, uh, agreements, and partnerships. I like what you're doing. You're kind of um, segueing the work of Jack Morin, who wrote the book Erotic Mind, which I use a lot of for my work, which is that we have a non-sexual narrative that contributes or that's um, if you decode the sexual narrative for any of us, kink, vanilla or otherwise, that is um, there's a story there about yourself that you can learn more about yourself. But you've decided to, to make it just about kink. That's that's your specialty area. Is that right? 
Well, uh, that's my personal specialty, you might say. I am a kink-oriented man, and uh, but my broader focus is on this idea of sexual authenticity, whatever the sexuality is, as well as integrating it back into your life. And to do that, you have to address the trauma, shamings, and fears that has occurred. And Jack Morin, that's a wonderful book, uh, The Erotic Mind, uh, but even he, and this is, I just published or I, I submitted for a publication a paper uh, called Fetish Sexuality as Sexual Orientation, because I think it's important to establish mm-hmm. kink as yeah. an authentic sexuality, a legitimate yes, yes, sexuality yes. for yep. divorce cases and custody, house, child custody, housing, employment. There's so many discriminations that occur. This is just like what, you know, the, the gay and lesbian community did 50, 70 years ago to establish this, uh, along with the taking it out of the DSM, uh, pathologizing homosexuality. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, so this is uh, about, uh, but with even unfortunately for Moore, and so in that paper, I kind of push back against Moore and in the regard that even that theory of the core erotic themes, which was part of his model of, of what's happening in the sexual psyche, uh, when people become aroused, uh, is still looked at as uh, almost a compensation for a pathology uh, or an unfortunate uh, traumatizing of the one's sexuality. In other mm-hmm. words, it was still kind of compensating for it. But I make the case that, no, you were born that way. If you There's a certain percentage. So there's a lot of people who dabble in kink and, oh, it's fun. I, I like to spice it up a little bit. But then there are a certain segment, and these are the ones I call the fetish sexuals, who this is their sexuality. This is their normal. This is their everyday mm-hmm. life. This is what they want. If they were in a partner, if this partner matches up in every way, but, oh, you're not submissive or you're not dominant or a switch or you're not open to exploring that or you not already know that's who you are. That's not a good match for that person. And they should, uh, you know, and this is uh, because they are looking for the, their match. You know, it's just like if you're a gay man. So who are you going to partner with? Oh, I'd like I want to partner with a gay man, not someone who's uh, straight. You know, so yeah. this is the same thing for kink oriented people, I believe, is that, you know, this is a very specific and authentic part of them that is integral to their wholeness and their well-being and who, who they are. So uh, this is. uh yeah, so my, my premise is that there's a certain part of the gene pool, literally, that is kink-oriented. I like what you're saying because I'm thinking to myself that I, I supervise lots of students, part of Modern Sex Therapy Institutes, and sometimes, uh, not even just them, I, other therapists will say, well, I'm trying to figure out how my client got to a fetish or kink place as if it started with, with vanilla or mainstream and then moved to that. And I have to teach them exactly what you just said, that some people – are just born this way. I had a, not a client, a a podcast guy who came on. He was my very first podcast. We called it the Ropers. And he said that he recalled being a a boy scout even, and he learned to Mm. tie knots. And while he was tying knots, he was aroused. And he remembers thinking, what is all this about? I didn't understand. And only to become um, later in life, uh, a Roper, somebody who likes to tie knots and tie people up. So like you say, Mm -hmm. there are people that Remember it. It's not, but I would say too that there are people, uh, as a therapist, I've seen and I've worked with, and I think for me as well, who some of my uh, childhood events have become eroticized. I wasn't born with them. I they came after, but sometimes you don't know because 
um, it, you may have been born with them and then something happens to you and then you get confused. Was, was it there before? Was it there after? I mean, there's, mm-hmm. so, there's so many different ways to look at this. Well, sexuality is incredibly complex and we barely have scratched the surface of what actually is going on, you know, from an evidence-based or scientific model. And and, uh, everything is theory right now. We don't really know too much about it because it seriously has not been really researched and studied to the extent that it should be, especially when there's so much judgment and legal legal, uh, issues and all of the other things that push against being claiming your birthright. And, you know, we mentioned that in the lead in, you know, one of my founding principles for how I work with someone is to help them understand that, oh, this is my birthright. I really get to be this. It's 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 my uh, right to claim it and to stand up for it and to negotiate for it in my relationships. You know, most clients I work with, they have relationship uh, when what are I call erotic mismatches often. And they really, uh, and their partner isn't into whatever they're into, and they probably even haven't talked to their partner about what they're into because they're too afraid of being shamed or ostracized yeah. or yeah. something. So uh, the partner with the, the least sexuality, or at least their per- difference sexuality, rules what kind of sexuality goes on in the relationship. So that person literally is yielding, giving up, sacrificing for decades, their whole, uh, you know, they, they hold it back. Or what happens really is when that happens, then they put it into secrecy. They're still operating it, but they, uh, they know their partner would object. So uh, they really don't have any choice. I mean, they have the choice of, okay, I can just throw my sexuality in the closet and lock it away, try to, but that's really impossible. Right. But uh, the, one of the key things with my clients and couples, you know, is that you have a right to negotiate for what you want. And it's if your partner loves you, you have to trust that they will understand that they have to deal with your sexuality like you have to deal with theirs. You know, it isn't that just oh they don't like it. So they get to rule and say, well, that's the end of it. I mean, you can make a conscious choice to say, OK, my partner is into this. I will consciously uh, put it aside and, and try to find other ways uh, to fulfill our relationship together. But for most people, uh, that's a great sacrifice to do something like that, and probably impossible, really. What but I love most, yeah, people. Let me just have a, to finish this thought was just that uh, I really encourage people to, if they're not being true or honest to the, with themselves and their relationship to ask their partner, could we sit down? I have some things that are up for me around our, my sexuality and I'd really like to share it with you. And, and maybe you have things you'd like to share. I'd really love to hear what you are because I'd really love us to have a fantastic sexual uh, connection together and an honest and transparent one and, and be able to feel that trust and intimacy that kind of conversation would bring uh, this can be very powerful for people, but you do have a right to your sexuality. Yeah. So you're doing what I did in the 90s. I used to say being LGBT was your birthright. And now you're doing for uh, sex and fetish and kink the same thing. And I, I 100% agree with you that there are people that are born with their erotic orientation. I, and that's what we, we call the difference. Sexual orientation is to whom you're attracted to, male, female, both, a blend of both, neither. And then you have your erotic orientation, the things that get you off, that thing that brings you to orgasm, the, the fantasies, the arousal 
template. And that's really what you're you're fighting for. And, and I love it. It's a great advocacy for people to reduce the shame. And what's really sad, and you've said this, is couples don't talk about their erotic lives before they get into the relationship. They're too deep. They're too far gone. They've gotten married. They've gotten engaged. They have children. Um, they're many years in. And then it starts to come out because they're out of secrecy. And that's where the problems usually become. Is that what you end up seeing too? Yeah, exactly. And and this kind of weaves into uh, I created or began using sexual integration therapy approach uh, because of uh, clients I was working with who were had been diagnosed or misdiagnosed as sex porn addicts uh, and were in treatment sometimes for 10 years. Uh, some of my clients have been in sex porn addiction therapy for 10 years uh, and it wasn't working, obviously. So, you know, this is uh, a case where, you know, uh, to me, if someone is going to sex porn addiction therapy uh, and it's working for them, everything is great and wow, it's fantastic. Well, good, good. That's great. That's the one where, where you should be. But for those who aren't being served by the sex porn addiction model, and it's really the only game in town, really, there's no other narratives out there in the mainstream media and even in the psychological realms really that are uh not well there's few the main the bulk of it is uh, sex porn addiction is believed to be a psychological disorder and an addiction and it's uh there's the whole billion dollar therapy industry uh around it but um this isn't the problem the sex the porn someone looks at or how often they're looking at it or how much sex they want isn't the issue. The issue is the cover-up, the secrecy, the lying, the hiding, the being out of integrity, the risks you, that one takes, the irresponsibility, and then the grave psychological harm the person is doing themselves through that cover-up and and losing their their integrity. You know, just know that knowing that they are they're <laughs> they suck right now. You know, they're they're doing things that aren't noble and true and honest. Uh, so that's the problem. That's the psychological issue is the, is the secrecy and the hiding and the lying and the cover-up, not the porn someone views. I like what you're saying because what you're saying to therapists and hopefully people listening is the problem isn't what you're into. It's the secrecy. That's the therapy. Is that right? Yes. So what would you say is the answer to that? What's, what is the approach you use then to get them out of secrecy? Well, uh, you know, I have a, a number of, I have the five keys to integrating your sexuality into your life and relationships. And those are principles I start with my clients uh, to review. Uh, the five keys are sexual authenticity, sexual honesty, sexual empower empowerment and embodiment, uh, the sexual shadow, and paradox. So I take them through those five things. You know, the authenticity is yeah, claiming your birthright. If you don't, if you're not clear, you're right to explore and learn about your sexuality. Uh, the second one, once you know or got to aim your your direction of, of your sexuality, then it's now how do you be honest about it in the world? Now you have a total right to privacy. It's nobody else's business what your sexuality is on the one hand. On the other hand, for yourself especially and or your intimate partners, you want to be on the path towards becoming more and more sexually honest. And to get there, then this is the idea of sexual empowerment and embodiment. Uh, this is 
many people, I think, of their sexuality as uh, they're sexually disempowered. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so this is a matter of then taking their power back from where it has uh, been held for decades. In other words, the part of them that says, oh, you're disgusting or nobody's going to want you or who would want to do that or, oh, that's a sin or you're going to hell. You have all these embedded messages that have disempowered, have the power over our conscious choice. So people have avoided, didn't choose what they was really true for them because of these negative messages were so powerful to make them totally terrified of taking a step even. So this is, and then the embodiment is about learning to be in your body, doing all the practices of movement and breath and and ways to really get connected to your body and to your partner's body. So this is a a big step. So these are very brief. These are can be complex steps and many parts, but briefly, uh, then the sexual shadow is addressing all the ways. If you've been hiding for decades, well, these are some pretty ingrained habits and you're in a con your comfort zone is in the un- is in the shadowy ways of your behaviors of being out of integrity or sneaking and hiding and so you want to really examine those and look at them in the face and really get uh, honest about yeah i see where i've been in uh you know so out of integrity and i'm going to be noticing more because these are often because they're like psychological comfort zones they're almost like seamless unconscious uh, you're suddenly in in the groove, you know. So if you're trying to overcome compulsive behaviors like watching porn that's, uh, say, in excess of your responsibilities and it's, you know, taking time away from things that are important that you have committed to and are responsible for, uh, then, uh, you know, you really have to be aware of all the ways that the grooves that you've dug that are easy to fall into again. Again, that's a little simplified, but it's just about being aware of your negative behaviors that you believe are not serving you. I appreciate what you're saying, and I want listeners to hear, yes, it's being very simplified. We have like a 25-minute podcast, but your work, I have been following your work. I have your book. I have not read the whole thing yet, but I plan to, and I plan to read your new book. I just think it's very – it's um, groundbreaking. And I like what you're saying. I never thought about Jack Moran's work, I think is excellent. I, I will love it till the day I die. But it does tend to look more at pathology from your childhood, where you're not doing that. You're saying, and I read, I wrote, I read, read an article a while back from somebody who talked just this thing, and I wish I could find it, but now I found you. So you're saying it. And she basically said that can you be born with a dominant personality, a, a um, you know, BDSM personality with non monogamy? Can that can your fetishes, a foot fetish or a, um, whatever, be be who you are, just like a sexual orientation? And people need to hear that so they can, you know, step into it, lean into it if they want, and not have the shame. That's what you're doing. Exactly, and and this is such a, a pantheon of uh, you know, or even I'll say a treasure trove of of pleasure uh, when you open to these nuances of your sexuality and what's normal. You know, there's so much talk about, well, is that normal or people worry about it? We've been driven to consider, oh, geez, am I, you know, what's wrong with me? And the truth is normal is personal. You know, it's whatever is your normal is what we want to find. 
doesn't yep. matter. It's nobody else's right. It's not the church's right. It's not your parents' right. It's not their teachers or other authorities or the psychological community or the religious community to tell you what your normal is. That's you get to decide. That's your birthright. So you get to decide that and determine that and explore that and express that in consensual negotiated ways, period. I just love all this birthright talk. I had a client recently and um, he had, you know, struggled with his sexual interests. He liked what, uh, thinking and talking and maybe participating in his wife having another man. She didn't want to actually do it, but she was happy to um, talk about it. So she did for a while and the, they used fantasies, maybe some erotic imageries and porn. And then eventually she started to feel like he wanted that more than her, which wasn't true. He liked having sex with her without the erotic fantasy, but he really loved sex with her when the erotic fantasy was involved because it was his orientation. And so his work was me helping him. This is your birthright. This is your thing. Work with your wife. I brought her in. We, I really helped her understand this isn't instead of her, it's an addition to her, but it is a part of him that he came into the marriage with. And then he came in one day and he said, you're never going to believe this. My last orgasm I had with my wife, it was so good. I, my stomach hurt the next day. And he started <laughs> crying. And mm. I almost started crying with him only mm. for the pleasure and the joy of embracing mm. something. I mean, isn't that wonderful to hear from a client? That's uh, fantastic. That's exactly, uh, and the, the couple, bless them, found their path to be able to discuss and open up and still trust and build. This actually builds greater intimacy and trust when you can share these very vulnerable uh, parts of your desire that are a little scary to speak to, uh, because you're also, uh, and also that's lubricating the relationship for your partner who might also be uh holding back and suddenly you're sharing something so vulnerable. It's like, whoa, well, I, I have been thinking about some things too. So this can really add a lot of juice to your relationship and also build incredible trust and intimacy. To be able to share something so vulnerable like that and have your partner open to receive that, that is like a heart melting uh, moment. And then to achieve that depth of orgasmic pleasure and, and deeper into the sexual uh, territory is, is really uh, that's the whole purpose, you know, of, uh, and the pleasure of our sexuality. That's fantastic. hundred percent. So Galen, where can people find you online to learn more and buy your books and all of that? Well, my website is Galen Foose, G-A-L-E-N-F-O-U-S.com. And, uh, there's information about my books, working with me, uh, webinars and workshops I put on and, uh, also, the Personal Erotic Myth Survey is there, which is another component of my research and work. I have oh. over 6,000 participants in the Discover Your Personal Erotic Myth Survey, which is a tool for an individual to take the survey. It's about 40 questions, and they can start to drill down into their uh, sexual fantasies. If they're not quite conscious of it, and many people are not, this is why people can become active later in life, because suddenly it just is, it's, they can't avoid it. But many people have avoided it, so they haven't really thought too much or paid much attention to what's actually happening when they're having sex. But the survey will help them come and talk with many of the, the, the deeper layers, perhaps, of their sexuality, which is what's happened with the 6,000 who have taken it. And it's also a, uh, a research tool that I use to explore and kind of map the sexual psyche. So, uh, and it's also, it shows the incredible, the terrible collision of shame, fear, and trauma on sexual development 
because so much of uh, people's sexuality is coming to life as children, and that's also the same time where they've been shamed or wounded or unfortunately even traumatized, violated by uh, others at that time. So it's a very... Uh, this survey was revealed uh, incredible, the incredible torment in the sexual, in the human psyche from the fear of one's sexuality. Oh, I, I'm definitely going to go look into that. I hope my listeners will too. Thank you so much again for joining me on Smart Sex, Smart Love, Galen. And you uh, listeners um, can hear more of my podcasts at smartsexsmartlove.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Dr. Joe Court. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court. You can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.